This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi, I'm Ralph Tucker from Tucker Media. The year 2020 has certainly presented challenges for everyone across the world. In 2020 Revision, I'll chat to a cross-section of the community about their experiences and learnings in this truly unique period of history. From business owners, to professional athletes, to new mums, everyone will share their stories. And to give it an authentic 2020 feel, I've recorded these chats at my kitchen table over Zoom. Craig Gabriel, welcome to 2020 Revision. Mr. Ralph Tucker, nice to be with you. Now, according to your Twitter handle, you are a multimedia megastar. To me, you're just the bloke who does the tennis reports on the radio, but we'll roll with it. How far behind you are. (laughs) In any case, can you please take us through your 2020 and what has been an extraordinary year, to say the least? Um, I think 2020 was probably the worst year of my professional life. Um, not to be not be able to get on a plane uh, was was like daggers uh, through the heart. Um, I, I haven't I hadn't flown internationally since February, and that was really only to another state of Australia called New Zealand uh, for about uh, three days, and uh, that's been it um, as far as any sort of overseas type travel. Um, and, and that was really getting to me. And, and to be able to um, not have huge, huge events happening like Wimbledon was really depressing. But full marks to the U.S. Open and the French Open and the National Federations for being able to still stage those events, albeit behind closed doors. Um, but it wasn't the easiest thing to get to. So uh, it's, it's been a, a really rough road. I was going to say, are you getting withdrawal symptoms from not being in the Qantas club and also seating at the pointing end of the plane? Yep, exactly right. <laughs> I, I went to um, Alice Springs um, a few, you know, sometime in October um, when borders between the Northern Territory and New South Wales opened up because that was really the only place I could fly to with any sort of bit of distance. And much of that was really just to be able to get on a t- an airplane. Um and it was it was fantastic. It really was. I mean, it was wonderful to get on on uh, the flying kangaroo all over again there and back. And uh, and it was also very interesting spending a few days in Alice Springs. We'll get to the impact on the the tennis world in a, in a sec. But I guess like most people, you're putting your time to good use. I follow you on Instagram. The garden's looking fantastic. The cooking skills have gone next level. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. Uh, it really is. And it does occupy a bit of time, but that's not really quite what I want to be doing. I want to be talking about tennis. I want to be traveling and being at the tournament. So in, um, the last time I was supposed to be at a tournament um, live was Indian Wells um, in March. I was on my way to the airport and I got a message to say, are you on the plane? I said, no, heading there. And uh, the response that came back was, don't get on, we've just canceled. Um, And that was the the trend of it. And depression really hit me, I think it was the 1st of April, um, when Wimbledon made their announcement. And uh, for a little while, I didn't want to see anybody, I didn't want to speak to anybody. And uh, it was was really 
a, a legitimately rough patch. Um, so, uh, you know, and then I still covered the US Open. I still covered the French Open. But it wasn't the same not being there. And to do it virtually was was difficult because while I was still putting in the same number of hours, anything between 15 and 20 hour days, the difference was it was at the other time, the other part of the day. It was middle of the night. And uh, that made it even more tiring and, and uh, very difficult. Take me through that because obviously you are, as you mentioned, used to doing long hours, but you're used to being there at the event. So it would have been a different kind of tiredness. It would have been a different oh. kind of schedule. It would have been just completely weird. And you would see a lot of the the coverage on TVs in media rooms and different things like that. But to be in your own house doing the same job and, yeah, take me through that. That must have been bizarre. It was very, very bizarre. It's a good word for it. Extremely strange. And, and it took a little getting used to. I mean, I will say Nine Radio were fantastic with working out of the 2GB studios in Sydney. Everything, they did a great job setting things up for me to be able to cover the events middle of the night um, from it right in there. And um, But you really, it was a different mindset that you had to create for yourself to not being there and then to, to be doing um, post-match media conferences on a virtual basis. Um, you know, it was, it was very difficult and, you know, and make sure you press the button to say that your hand is raised to ask a question. You forgot about that sometimes and tried to jump in, but you were muted. You know? oh. So it was, it was different, different and, and difficult and, but also an eye opener in one sense. But, you know, I certainly, don't want to be doing that uh, again. The phrase "you're on mute" has to be the quote of 2020. I feel like with all of oh. these virtual uh, meetings that we're all doing, we're conducting this via Zoom from my kitchen table, which has been, you know, anything from the the classroom to the to the office to all of that stuff. And um, I guess a lot of people adjusting to the technology. And while it has its advantages, as you mentioned, there's nothing quite like being in person yeah. at an event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, or you hear the message coming down the line, um, you know, it would be a, generally a, a European accent. Craig, unmute, question. <laughs> I'll tell you what, um, the, just in, in early November, um, covering the ATP finals uh, in London, because again, it was behind closed doors and they only were credentialing people that were based in London. So I was still covering it virtually from, from Sydney. So there was a press conference with Daniel Medvedev who ended up winning the championship mm. for the first time. So it, I recorded it and I went back and I was editing and, and listening back to it, but I half dozed off listening back. Nothing against Daniel, mm. but again, you're working like from one o'clock in the morning. It's now eight o'clock in the morning or whatever. So I'm listening to this and suddenly I heard Craig and I've jumped, but it was the recording. It wasn't the live person. It was the live person saying to me, but it had been recorded. So I thought it was, I actually started laughing at myself, um, but that's what happens. Yeah. You know, you've been doing this for God knows how long, 40 years. Um, Don't push it, fella. Yeah. <laughs> You still got your resplendent youthful looks, though. But and the cost. 
doing this and I guess the just the human connection of seeing the same faces at the tournament year on year, I mean, that it must just be like really odd to just not do that given that's that's been your life for such a long time. Yeah, look, it, it really has. And, um, you know, that's why it, it, it's, it's been so difficult. Um, you know, somebody might say, oh, look, you're still being able to cover the event and, you know, you're doing it from home or from, you know, you're not leaving Sydney. You don't have to travel um, half a world away. It's not the same. You know what, Ralph, it, it, this is like people criticizing those who are in quarantine, and people in quarantine say, oh, you know, two weeks here in a hotel, this is ridiculous and it's so difficult. People say, well, what are you complaining about? It's a five-star hotel. Well, maybe it is, but you try staying in one small room without windows opening, average food being delivered. You're not getting daily room service by any stretch of the imagination. You've got no fresh air. You're, you're, you are almost in a prison. Yep. And people don't understand that, who have not experienced that. They think, oh, you're in a five-star hotel. What are you complaining about? Yeah, we may be in five-star hotels, or you should be used to it. You may be in five-star hotels right through the year. Uh, but the difference is you're out of that room most of the day. You're working outside, and you're there essentially for breakfast, to sleep. Maybe if you're lucky, you get, you've got away from the event early, you can have dinner out. Um, so it is a completely different situation. Talk to me about Wimbledon. That, for many people who don't follow the tennis circuit all year, tune in for that two weeks from the All England Club. To have that removed completely from the schedule, completely weird. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was saying before. That's when depression actually hit me. Um, yeah, I, there were a couple of days where I was just sitting in you know, I'll be honest, crying because I didn't know what was happening, where we, we were going to go, what was going to be the outcome, how long this was going to go for. I mean, I sort of accepted, you know, frustratingly and disappointingly, um, the cancellation of Indian Wells and then Miami. Tell you, I, you know, I, I was relating about going on uh, on the way to the airport for Indian Wells and turning around and coming back. And I thought, oh, I've got to unpack. And then yeah, family members said, look, you've got enough clothes at home, you know, just use those and don't unpack because you're going to go to Miami. Then, you know, which I did. I left the luggage in the hallway. Um, it sounds like a scene from, um, you know, Evita, Don't Cry yeah. For Me, Argentina. But when Wimbledon was cancelled, it changed everything. You know, that's what everybody, for us, we look forward to the Australian Open and Wimbledon specifically among obviously the other ones we look forward to us french and all that but for us those are the pinnacles um so when that was cancelled it was like you felt you were being hit by a steam train going at full pace um and it was a lot to take in um you know the depression set in people were were morose and and uh you know, you didn't know how to handle it. You really didn't because it's never happened before. I mean, the last time Wimbledon had been cancelled was, what, I think 1945 or something because of the war. But you sort of pick yourself up and, and you've got to move on and you've got to look ahead and you've got to keep your fingers crossed that time goes quickly and these events will start coming back online. I joked about you being a multi 
media megastar at the start of this thing, but as well as the, the stuff that you do on the radio, you do a whole lot of other things that are associated with tennis across the year. How did that impact you work-wise with, a, with the, the, the tournaments and not being able to get to them? Well, a major impact. I mean, income went from X amount of dollars to zero here because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing happening. How do you work on anything if there is no action? You're not being able to get to speak to anybody to be able to create anything. So, you know, you, you try and be a little bit inventive and, you know, try to come up with some ideas and stuff, but it certainly is not going to replace uh, the dollars that, that you've lost. It's minuscule and, and very often it's, there is nothing, absolutely nothing there. Um, because what can you talk about if you can't speak to a player, you can't be at a tournament, you, you can't, you know, there's, there, everything is, the, the shop has been shut, just like a cafe or a hotel or, or whatever, or the theater. Um, and uh, it, it's very, very tough to, uh, to, to get around. So when tournaments were coming back, that was obviously when you kind of were able to get like a little bit of working and get going again. That must have been a bit of a relief given the depressive period that you mentioned. Well, to some degree, you know, even you say tournaments were starting to come online, they were all overseas and and I have contractual obligations for um, consulting with tournaments, but a lot of those tournaments were all cancelled. Um, you know, the whole PR side, there was nothing happening, you know, sure. I mean, the U S open or, or, um, the French open, you can talk about, you know, virtually, but it's still not the same. And it's still not even close to, um, covering the amount, uh, financially that you've lost and the goodwill because you're not there, you're not seeing the tournament directors or the players or the officials or, or, or whatever, um, you know, to just say you've lost X amount of dollars. That's only one aspect of the yep. whole thing. Let's talk about Nick Kyrgios being the smartest man in the room um, in 2020. Things have really gone bizarro, isn't it? Like when you compare the whole Novak Djokovic saga that went on earlier this year, when he looks like the sensibles guy, we, we, we must be in some kind of parallel universe. But you know what? The thing is, that's not different to Nick from other times, from be, the behind-the-scenes Nick I'm talking about, um, with his stand on things and his stand on charities and and you know, using that also term again, goodwill towards others as far as under uh, disadvantaged or underprivileged. That hasn't changed with Nick. And Nick has always been one to call someone out. And and that's what he's done. And, and you know, because he's not playing, because there's been um, no um, you know, negative stuff on a, on a tennis court, people are now maybe seeing that other side of, of uh, curios that, Somebody like myself, who's seen him around since the age of 15, um, is, is, has always been fully aware of. When you look at that, you know, Ash Barty, Ash hasn't played since February either. Yeah, but she's still ending the year world number one, which is fantastic. 
but she hasn't played a, a match since since what end of January, beginning of February. Yeah, it's just been extraordinary. What did you make of Novak's action, and has he gone down a, a rung or two in the the eyes of the public? Oh, look, possibly he has, but you know, I think uh, the public has also got short memories. Um, you know, the the all that's going to be forgotten very soon, uh, if it hasn't already been forgotten. Um, you know, even with Novak, we we close to the game and uh, who are in, involved in the game day in and day out, week in and week out, see a lot of things that don't necessarily get spoken about because, you know, you just don't feel right um, in, in saying things. But I think a lot of people have seen a different side of Novak as well. You know, the, 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 the diehard Djokovic fans will come out and, and make every excuse under the sun and slam you if you have something negative to say about him. Um, but, you know, again, we've seen a lot. We see a lot of things that don't necessarily get covered and you know, better left thing leaves. Let sleeping dogs lie. So as we look forward, there are some, I guess, some promising signs a little bit on the horizon in terms of what the Australian summer might look like, borders are opening and so forth. Um, the plans are sort of in place, but not completely for um, the Australian Open, but the lead up uh, to, to play some tournaments in, in Victoria. What are you looking forward to most in, in that regard? I'm just looking forward to seeing tennis players on a <laughs> tennis court live. That's the biggest thing. And just to be able to, to be part of an event at the event, not virtually. Um, you know, Tennis Australia have worked their butts off to get things happening along with the ATP. And, you know, there's so many events, the WTA as well. Um, and we're still, they're still ironing out so much. And it's not just the Australian season. It's at least the first quarter of 2021 um, with all those other events that have got to be played after the Australian Open. And, uh, you know, bring on this damn vaccine and, a hurry, and hurry up with it um, so we can really get things going. Um, but, you know, Tennis Australia, it's, it's incredible the work they've been putting in and trying to get around and, um, and, and be able to develop and give Australian tennis fans and tennis fans as a whole or sports fans as a whole an event, an event that, that they will remember that's going to be played with every safety protocol that is necessary, but at the same time, give us the excitement that we've been missing so much. How do you think that'll impact on your life moving forward? You know, in the ideal world, we get things back to somewhere near normal. What do you think the uh, regulations are going to be and how is that going to impact on how you conduct yourself at, at tournaments in terms of how things are set up and so forth? Yeah. Yeah, look, I think um, there's still going to be a lot of the virtual stuff, for at least I'd say the first half of the year, um, and then we'll see. But, um, you know, hopefully by then the whole vaccine aspect will be well and truly underway and things will start to open up with tournaments a lot more and you're going to maybe have the free passage or more free passage than, than what we've got at the moment, which is so limited. Um, and then hopefully that will start creating um stuff that we can work on and and um welcome people a lot more with with events i mean wimbledon as an example 
started planning for 2021 in July, and even even then was looking or uh, is considering the closed door scenario as well. Um, you know, Wimbledon got off pretty well as much as they wanted to play and all that, but with the pandemic insurance that that uh, they had and it covered them, um, so they didn't really lose a lot of money. It was desperate for the US Open and the French Open to be played, otherwise they would have been losing hundreds of millions of dollars or, or euros. So, you know, once we start to see things moving, then all these things, the, the, the jigsaw will start falling into place. And I guess what people don't realise is the amount of financial impact it has on the local community. Um, oh, yeah. You know, um, if we look at Melbourne for the two weeks, that's massive uh, for, for the local economy, not to mention people that work on the tournament. So the, the umpires and the ball kids and the people that, you know, the ushers and all of these people that I guess it's part of their, their lives, but it's part of their income on a, a yearly basis. And then the same goes for every tournament around the world. The economic impact is phenomenal. And the international economic impact, the, the dollars this sort of event brings into the state and the country is, is, is incredible, is phenomenal. I mean, one example for the Indian Wells, the economic uh, impact, what it lost was about 300 million US dollars just in that one. And it's not even one of the four majors. That's in one area that uh, Palm Springs that, uh, you know, the the the, uh, the valley over there, um, you know. So what something like this could do to an Australian Open is just mind-boggling. But you know, the word is that they're expecting to maybe have fifty percent attendance. The problem is going to be a lack of international visitors and guests, and 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 the hotel rooms and things like that. So it just it is. It's not just what people see on a tennis court. It's everything around it, and there's so much around it that that, that is affected. Um, you know, it's not a case of these guys. Okay, so they're making ten million dollars a year, or Novak Djokovic's on-court uh, official earnings is a hundred and forty million dollars, whatever it is. It's all those other players, those other people, the ancillary staff, the as you're saying, the the, the lines people, the drivers, you know, the catering, all that. Um, you know, the, the London finals, the ATP finals in London had no lines people. It was all electronic, um, you know, in, in November. The chair umpire was there and it was all these uh, um, systems that were on the, the chair with him for replays and all that. But think of this. If there were no lines people, where are the future chair umpires going to come from? They all start that way. They start as lines people and officials, they, and then they work their way up. So what happens to the future with, you know, the chair umpires? How do they get, um, you know, their experience and things like that? So there's so many angles and aspects that are affected. It's incredible. Craig Gabriel, thanks very much for joining us on 2020 Revision. Let's hope it's a lot happier and brighter in 2021. Thanks, Ralph.